Hey everybody, welcome to the People People podcast with me, Barry Hoffman. Each week I'll be sitting down and talking to some of the biggest names in the people profession. This podcast is sponsored by Strategic Dimensions. So, um, hi, I'm Dan Caro, I'm Managing Director at Strategic Dimensions, um, and we are an executive search firm who specialise in placing senior HR people. Yes, and you're very kindly sponsoring this series of podcasts, which is great, because what we're doing, just so that everyone knows, is interviewing chief people officers so that we get a bit of insight into what makes them tick, how they got to their job, their career path, what words of wisdom they might have for people who are coming into the profession. And we've got a great lineup of people over the course of uh, the next couple of three months. We've got CPOs from Nando's, ITV, um, Aston Martin, the Royal Horticultural Society, all sorts of places. So it'd be really exciting to talk to all these people as we go through. Um, but this this recording, what we're going to do is just talk a bit about strategic dimensions. So how long has the company been going it's been going for a really long time so i think it's about 30 years um it's pretty close to that it'll be 20 28 or 30 years um and um it actually started with um well at the time mike haffenden and a guy called toby turl who was a kpmg partner um and they actually set up our sister organization first the corporate research forum um as a bit of a an HRD's club, you know, to talk about, you know, problems, opportunities, ideas, share networks, that sort of thing. Um, and was never really intended to be, you know, a business as such, but it grew, you know, out of interest from their network. Um, and then, you know, people started finding jobs in each other's businesses and, you know, Mike being pretty commercial, thought there was an opportunity to make some money out of that as well. Um, They'd all been, you know, generally a bit dissatisfied with the service they got from, you know, the Shrek firms and wanted to provide something a bit more personal, a bit more high touch. Um, and that's when Strategic Dimensions was was born. Um, at the time, Mike then partnered with Mari um, Bannon, um, who retired from the business, what, five years ago, something like that. Um, and Mike and Mari were really, you know, the leaders that, that grew the business and the business I joined, you know, 17 years ago. What is it about the business that's made you stay? I mean, it's genuinely unique if you look at other recruitment firms. Um, so I've worked for three different recruitment firms, you know, which isn't loads, and that's quite unusual in our sector. People move around a lot more regularly and a lot more often. Um, but I've met a lot of other recruitment consultants. You know, my friends from my early job, um, they moved into other recruitment businesses. Um, and through my time at SD, I, I, I've sort of taken the advice I give other people, you know, which is a build a network amongst your competitors, you know, build a network with other people doing what you do. And I've done that. Um, and there's never been a firm I've thought, God, I'd like to join them. Um, and I don't know, what, well, what's unique about SD? I think... We, we genuinely have a team-based collegiate approach to getting things done. Um, it's evidenced by our remuneration strategy, um, which is team-based profit share. Um, we're about the only recruitment firm I've ever come across that does that. Everyone else has, you know, quite aggressive, you know, individual commission schemes, um, which I'm sort of sure, you know, drive certain people to performance. And it worked for me early in my career. 
But I think what it doesn't do is is promote sharing across the team um, or an environment where everyone has a vested interest in you being successful in your job. Um, and that's mm. quite unique. So I really like that. Um, and I've enjoyed working and recruiting in the HR function. Um, I did a bit of that in my previous company and I always felt, well, I always thought I was quite good at my job. Um, mm. and I thought the people that know whether you're good at recruitment are HR people. So I thought, well, yeah. if I want to do this anywhere where people are genuinely judged on doing recruitment well, I thought recruiting HR people would be a good place to target. Um, so when I left RHR, where I was first of all, I was specifically targeting HR exec search firms. Um, and SD just stood out head and shoulders above everyone else I met. And I've stayed there ever since. Strategic Dimensions, the unrivaled HR network. So it's a, it's a, it's a reasonably small but powerful team. What, what, do you, what do you think you do a bit differently for candidates how do you approach a, a candidate and and also what what can candidates do to help you find them find them the next job yeah good question um so i think i think we are very very candidate centric um you know people tell us all the time that we're really really attentive to the individual um and that's not just when we've got a job for them or when they happen to be a client or when we think they might be a client, it, it's genuinely to help them in their search. Um, you know, we get that feedback over and over again, and everyone across the team gets that feedback. Um, so, you know, we never lose sight of the fact that moving jobs can be a very stressful experience for people. Um, you know, whether it's through need or, or, or ambition, um, it's a difficult process to go through. And often people have, you know, a crisis of confidence at some point in their search. Um, you know, we, we're not in the good news industry. I mean, for every project we do, only one person ever gets good news. Everyone else gets bad news. Um, so we've always been really attentive to that and, and really focused on this is an individual going through a stressful experience that really matters to them. And it's, it's the right thing, you know, for us to be, you know, very, very high touch and very supportive through that process. And it's also the commercial thing to do, you know, and we really saw that, you know, in Lehman's and through COVID, you know, through both those, you know, crises, you know, we, we made profit, we never made anyone redundant, whereas <clears throat> almost all of our competitors did. And I think that's a real point of difference. You know, people supported us, you know, we asked for help from a number of clients and they found work for us mm. to do. So and that and that was built up through you know years of trust and support for these people as candidates as well as clients. So I think what that's one of the things that really separates mm. us. Um, I think in terms of what candidates can do to help us find them a job, um, well, that's probably all the advice we give people in every conversation, every day of the week. You know, it's it's the basics of make sure you've got a good looking, well constructed CV full of content. I think one of the things. HR people in the past have been quite bad at is having numbers in their CV. It's a really simple thing. But, you know, data figures, you know, performance improvement. Don't just say you did it, <clears throat> but give some stats around how you helped reduce costs, you know, or drive sales. Those things can really separate people. Make it easy to read. You know, no one wants five, six pages. People are just too busy. They don't have time. So keep it relatively concise. Don't assume 
people know who your organization is you know it's okay if you're working for a, a GlaxoSmithKline or a PepsiCo but if you're working for a small private equity backed business don't assume people know who you who they are you know so give the client a bit of help by you know showing a bit of size and scale of the organization or where it is in its business cycle so those things are really useful you know be prepared to share what you want you know honestly and openly no one's perfect you know so you know what's good about you but also where are your gaps where are your where are your learning opportunities what environment don't you like working in that gives us a better chance of finding the right one for you do you find on the whole that people are honest when when you talk to them do you know what i do i really do i don't know whether i'm being naive i do i think we get into really good conversations with people and I feel like they do open up to us quite nicely, actually. Um, and also probably because we're working at a more senior level. Um, I think people know there's there's no point in fibbing. Um, you know, you get found out eventually. Um, you know, and, and, you know, worst case scenario is you get found out when you're early in a job and that can be very, very difficult. So I think on the whole, people are honest. Uh, but I totally accept people, you know, tell us the best story. Um, and that's fine. You know, they should be able to do that. You know, one of the biggest problems we have with people is when they're, they're uncomfortable about selling themselves, um, you know, and, and you need to be able to do that. And that is a bit of spin and it is about presenting the best side of the argument, the best side of, of what you did. Um, but I don't necessarily think that's, that's dishonesty. I think it's just um, it's selling yourself. Have you seen a shift over the years? Because if, if I think back to my time as a chief people officer, if I go back maybe 10 or 15 years, maybe a bit more, uh, showing my age, but I, I, looked at a, I looked at a CV. You, you and yeah. me both. If I looked at a CV, the person who turned up for the interview was pretty much the person that was on the CV, and you could kind of reconcile the two things. These days, when I look at a CV, the person who turns up seems to be completely different, and sometimes the CVs are written as if someone's on The Apprentice. They just tell you that they're brilliant at everything with no substance. And then the person turns up and they, they, <laughs> they clearly don't have any experience at all. And then vice versa, the ones that have been out of the market who have been constantly working, doing brilliant work and you know, performing incredibly well, aren't that great at writing a CV, which has got all the buzzwords in and is all sort of you know, going to you know, ping all the algorithms you know, and make them go crazy. So have you, have you yeah. seen that? Have you seen a shift over the years of... of what CVs are like and what people are like coming forward for roles? I think so. I think in terms of, and probably LinkedIn has got a big, big part to play in this, um, you know, because, you know, you, you're right, you know, people write a LinkedIn profile or they should do, you know, to take advantage of the algorithms. You know, you, you drop in, you know, all of the job titles you could potentially want to be considered for. You know, you have all the breadth in there around, you know, geographic areas supported about you know spikes within your hr career should all be in your linkedin profile and i think there is a bit of a danger that that's you know moving itself into people's cvs you know and there's some quite clever apps you can get that, that literally you know pull your linkedin profile into a cv you interview the majority of your candidates face to face don't you definitely i mean to be honest i, I would prefer face to face or a phone call I find the Zoom Teams thing difficult. I feel I get less out of it than I would do a phone call sometimes. So, yeah, but face-to-face, -face, there's nothing like it. And, you know, you sit in a room with someone, the rapport is easier, the 
the sort of the add-on, the drill-down questions come more naturally. You know, pre-COVID, you know, I would probably interview someone for an hour and a half, hour, 45 minutes, two hours. You know, Zoom and Teams, I'm done in 45 minutes and I've got everything I need or I think I have. But it's the, it's the informal rapport. And back to what I said about, you know, when those crises hit, and people supported us. All of those people I'd met face to face. I'd been out for a drink with them. I'd had a coffee. We'd maybe had breakfast together. We'd been to a networking event. These were people we knew well. And I'm struggling to think of someone I've only met via Zoom or Teams who is moving into that sort of, you know, really deep, you know, relationship, you know, kind of basis. Trouble is, though, people don't necessarily want to do it as much either. You know, people's lives are very busy. And the thought of taking it probably a half day to travel somewhere, to meet someone, to get back to the office, to potentially have to tell people in the office if there's other people in the office, you know, where you're going, where you've been. It's a bit trickier, but equally, it's not speeding up processes. You know, so whilst a lot of these processes are kicking off with Zoom and Teams, maybe with us and maybe with clients, they're no quicker than they ever were. And I can't really work that out. I feel like they should be. You started at SD sort of 17 years ago there wasn't really LinkedIn in the way that there is today do you see it as a good thing or is it a threat do you think it's gonna change recruitment yet again what, what's your view on on LinkedIn as a as a tool I, I think LinkedIn has been brilliant the thing it's done that's really helped us is is the ability to reach candidates that you don't know already you know when I started in recruitment we would do We'd have training sessions on how to get past the gatekeeper, you know, because normally the person you want to speak to, they wouldn't answer their desk phone. They didn't have a mobile and you'd have to get past their PA with some creative story that would allow you to speak to them. And then when you spoke to them, you'd need to engage them within 30 seconds. And we would we'd have training on that. Whereas on LinkedIn, people can see who we are. So straight away, there's hopefully a bit of corroboration there that we're 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 a you know decent bunch of people and you know we've got a track record and you know we know what we're doing um but i can get straight to them you know with a message directly on linkedin i don't need their email address um and also i can see a little bit around not what they look like physically but what their career looks like um so i'm not just guessing you know so i think it's it's been a brilliant tool um i don't see it as being a threat to recruitment i think maybe perhaps at, at more junior levels, maybe so. But I think at our level, so much is based on, you know, our assessment, um, our point of view on people, you know, our knowledge of what good looks like. Those those X factor points around culture fit and style are the things clients pay us money for, you know, so we can make those assessments and we can make sure they don't have to see, you know, 20 people. They, they can see three to five and they'll hire one of them. And that, that's where we add our real value, I think. Yeah. So you, so you don't advertise on LinkedIn or anything like that. You, you're you're very much a network, physical, face to face, talking to people, relationship based. Yes. Type of organisation. I mean, very much so. I mean, for me, that's um, that's a point of difference. You know, when I started in recruitment, there was search and selection. You know, search was what we do. You know, you you headhunt people, you build a great network. And, you know, through those conversations and direct approaches, you engage them in a brilliant job. Um, selection was you placed an ad and you selected from the group of people who replied to the ad. And I have to say, I think there is a blurring of that. You know, there's a lot of people out there and firms out there, well, clients who will hire, you know, an executive search firm. But, you know, if they're on LinkedIn, they'll see that job posted on LinkedIn. 
you know, probably two, three days after they've commissioned the search. And okay, it's blind and they don't mention who the client is, but sometimes it's pretty obvious. And I think if I saw that as a client, I'd be a bit disappointed. I wouldn't be sure that's what I thought I was paying for, particularly if someone had talked about the strength of their network, you know, to need to advertise the role. But then also there's a bit of self-promotion there. You know, if you've got a great job, you know, you want people to know about it in the hope that other people give you similar work. And I think a lot of firms use LinkedIn, you know, for self-promotion. And there's been a lot of posting around fake jobs, you know, being posted just to, you know, potentially show that a firm, you know, is something they want to be perceived as being, but they're not maybe necessarily the case. Don't forget to like and subscribe for more episodes of the People People podcast. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you today was what what your view was of HR as a profession over the years and what shift you had seen because you're an outsider really in the sense that those of us that have done the role in corporate organizations have one perspective on what HR is is like and how it's shifted over the years but I'm interested to hear from you what you think given that you're on the edge and you're actually shaping HR for a lot of organizations and CEOs will come to you and ask your advice about what's hot, what's not, what are other organizations doing, what are the trends within HR and what the most progressive HR um, directors and chief people officers are doing with their teams. So what, what have you seen over the last, say, five or 10 years and, and where do you think it's headed? So I think, I mean, when I when I started here, there was so much talk about HR fighting for its seat at the table, you know, and, you know, there was a lot of, you know, concern about, you know, if HR didn't report into a CEO, you know, it wasn't owning the seat at the table and it wasn't having its voice as it, as it should do. And I think around about that time, it, it wasn't necessarily, I'm not sure it was justifying it. It was just, it wanted to be there, but wasn't you know, 100% sure what it meant by by being at that table. And I think what we've seen massively over the last 15 years is that shift. You know, we've now got, you know, HR people that have moved into the business. You know, I met a guy last week who's just moved from CPO to CEO of quite a sizable organisation, having had a completely HR-based career. It's still relatively uncommon, but it's happening more and more often. And also we're seeing, you know, business leaders, you know, moving into the CPO role. You know, to, to, to mix reports, um, but the fact it's being seen as a role that other business functional leaders want to do, possibly as the route to CEO, I think is a real positive thing. So I think, you know, HR is far more front and centre in businesses now than it's ever been. I think the HR people we meet are far more commercial. They can talk about the broader business agenda and not just the HR piece. And I think that's a real separator, that ability to really add value to the business as opposed to, you know, just the HR bit, I think has been a massive change. But also not forgetting all the good stuff that HR does that no one else does. You know, the work around culture, around health and well-being, around management, around leadership. You know, these are the, the cornerstones of the business. And I think it's vital that HR still has a passion and still fights the corner for that being done really well. Because I think there's a dangerous line, you know, we potentially go down if we start to you know, not place the, the the necessary emphasis on those sort of really good, you know, people-centric, you know, parts of the function. Just to finish up, I'm going to just one sort of kind of left-field question. Now, I know that you didn't start um, start out 
in recruitment and that you've done a, a degree in graphic design so how <laughs> how come you ended up in recruitment and do you use any of that design thinking in um, what you do now oh blimey it's a long story so i ended up i was i went into art graphic design essentially because i was good at drawing it's not more complicated than that i was always good at drawing <clears throat> i never considered any other career from a very young age you know i was the best person at drawing in the class so it was always what i was going to do um and my second cousin was um was a very successful animator back in the 80s and you know we used to see his cartoons on tv and advertisements and it seemed like a really cool job so i never considered anything else and it was probably only in my um second year of my degree i did a work placement and i thought oh god i don't really like this i don't want to work here i don't like this business i don't really like these people um so finished the degree got a degree um end up being a graduate trainee with tesco because um i genuinely didn't know what i was going to do and i was stacking shelves at tesco and met the graduates there and they seemed quite good and i was asked to join the scheme and it was a brilliant scheme but again retail management wasn't for me so i ended up going off traveling went around the world came back registered with a recruitment firm to help find me another job in retail and they said have you ever thought about recruitment and that was it i um i stumbled into it on the basis that it was monday to friday and um, i would get weekends off and i wouldn't get basically moldy food down my suit every single day of the week and it turned out all right well i think you've done you've done very well on it i think uh, strategic dimensions is a great business um and thank you so much for sponsoring the podcast we've got loads more episodes to come and so um thank you and uh yeah great great talking to you thanks for listening to the people people podcast with me barry hoffman see you next time this podcast was sponsored by Strategic Dimensions.